Hi, everyone, and welcome to the official Dream Dinner Party podcast. I'm your host, Ross Bullen. I'm your other host, Gary Allmeter. And today we are honored and proud to have Sam Lipsight join us. Good afternoon, Sam. Hi, good afternoon. So Sam is, uh, I, I'll, 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 I'll admit to it, one of my favorite uh, contemporary writers, uh, uh, period. Um, he's the author of two collections of short stories, uh, Venus Drive and The Fun Parts, and of the novels uh, The Subject, Steve, Homeland, The Ask, Park, and most recently, no one left to come looking for you. I was looking at the list, but I've read them all. So I don't actually, it's just, I don't trust my own mind. Not, not that I, not that I don't know what I'm talking about. I, I, I see that you're also, uh, apparently the, the recently the author of a, I don't know if it's a short story or a novella called friend of the pod, yeah. which I've not been able to read because I can't get it in Canada for some reason, but now you're a friend of our pod. So, so, so welcome. There you go. Maybe this is my entree into being friend of many pods. Yeah, it's a it's a friend it's a friendly world, like a pot of whales or something. Yeah, it's good. Um, so so no one left to come looking for you is the 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 new novel. Um, I've read it. It's fantastic. It's got sort of like a a pot boiler element to it that's kind of new for 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 your for your novels, which I which I appreciated and and some other uh, things that kind of jumped out. It also I, I assume comes out of your own experience with that music scene in, in like New York, Lower East Side, early nineties and your, your band, uh, Dung Beetle. Um, but now I'm, now I'm talking about the book for you. So I'll turn it over to you to tell us a little bit about the new novel. No, I mean that you, you basically outlined it's a detective novel set in a kind of music scene, not kind of a music scene in uh, 1993 and on the Lower East Side. Uh, it, it's about a, a band that's sort of beginning to, to to disintegrate called the shits. It's narrated by their bassist uh, who has, as the novel opens, has changed his name to Jack shit in a bid to be a more legendary figure on the scene, I think. And uh, when he, uh, as the novel opens, he awakes to find that the, his roommate, who is the front man for the band and a, a junkie has absconded with Jack Shit's base, probably to sell it for drug money. And so thus begins a, a journey into the, you know, the heart of many aspects of New York City in 1993 to find the base, find the front man, play the show, uh, even as uh, many layers of evil are unraveled. It's sort of, you know, it's got a hard boiled element. It's got a lot about music. It's a detective novel, as I said. Um, that's That's basically it. Tell us about tell us about New York in 1993, Sam. Like, why did why did the novel have to be or did the novel have to happen in New York 1993? And, and if so, tell us why. But just I, Giuliani was the mayor then, right? Well, it was still Dinkins. Giuliani was about to be mayor. OK. All right. Yeah. You, you tell so, us. I mean, I mean, the real answer to your question is, I mean, for me to write it, it had to take place in 1993, but you know, no novel has to take place in 1993. Um, but it, that was a period when I was living down there and I was certainly drawing on my memories and experiences. And I, I kind of remembered it as, you know, from the, from the musical side, we really felt like we had come after the party in a lot of ways. And there was a sense like the, you know, punk golden years and even silver years were sort of over and, you know, it wasn't and Nirvana hadn't quite happened yet. And I wasn't sure what was what we were doing. But, you know, we were kind of living on the fumes, I would say, of an of an earlier grandeur and sort of but we were acolytes of this 
kind of punk religion. This and uh, mm-hmm. this kind of this kind of beyond even just the music. This kind of you know artistic uh, milieu that that had existed and flowered in that time or earlier in that area. And um, and then also it was this. I really see it as this transition time, um, in particular uh, in the case of New York. Uh, particularly in the case of New York, a transition into, you know, a more gentrified urban space, uh, you know, to the to the point now where no one, you know, really can afford to to live in that area who isn't uh, working for a hedge fund. But at this point, there's a kind of, you know, I think not not necessarily the very beginning, but sort of when it really became obvious that a shift was beginning to take place. And, you mm-hmm. know, and in those days, I was talking to someone recently about it, and it really wasn't who had lived down there as well. And we were laughing, and it's sort of this is in the book as well. But you know, people weren't really talking about gentrification in the same way. But there was a lot of talk about you know yuppies coming in. It was like, oh, are you a yuppie, or are you, yeah. do you really belong here? And there was there was a lot of conflict uh, around that that comes through in the book. The book actually ends up being a bit about real estate and real estate barons and and money and power in New York. But it is this kind of, it is the shift, I think, or the beginning of the shift. Um, it's also, I saw it as the beginning of a shift into, you know, the nineties, which, you know, it's a time that's getting a lot of attention lately, I think. I'm not sure exactly why, but uh, I also saw, I mean, I began to see the nineties, you know, in, in retrospect as a time when, the the real kind of curatorial project began in earnest. I remember in the '90s we were very concerned with the '70s, um, and I think it was like I felt like maybe that was the first time where really it was there was this sense of we're not sure what to do now, so let's like really start, you know, raiding the 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 past. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. for ideas, for uh, fashion, for you know, cut for concepts, for for ways of being in the world. Um, and then I think we've been in that churn ever since. Yeah. I mean, it's funny to think of, you know, in, in 1993, it felt like the golden age was over. Whereas I think for young people now that it, it absolutely was the golden age, you know, 1993, exactly. you, know. you could afford the rent, <laughs> the style, the music was good and, and everything. Right. Uh, it, it's interesting. Um, I was doing a little digging around. I was trying to find, um, any music by your band Dung Beetle online, and this is not easy to do. I don't know if you've ever tried, but I, I did find by, one song. By design. On, I'm sure, yeah. One one song is on Spotify, um, and that song's called The Man Went Out. It's on a compilation, as I, I maybe you remember. Uh, but anyway, I noticed in, in, your, in your novel, looking at, you know, when Jack's working on his set list for the show, that's the first song on the list. So I was curious, are these other songs... Dung Beetle classics like Orange Julius Rosenberg or are these or these new ones. I, I was I was wondering if these are all, you know, uh, authentic tracks or if this is some stuff you've made up for the for the book. Uh, it's a mix. So a few of them are were actually Dung Beetle songs. A few of them were song title ideas that never got to be songs um, that were f- floating around in our practice room, and a, and a few I just made up later. Yeah, I mean, you're you're really good at making up uh, names for like plausible names for these bands. Uh, the I'm, I'm I'm blanking on it now, but uh, the the mongoose one, mongoose um civic, yeah, that's right, yeah, that's right. It's uh, it's uh, it's 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 plausible as a as a band from that period. So it was. Remember the band Bullet La Volta? They were a very good band from the late '80s, early '90s, and um, but they had gotten their name from. 
a list that the poet Marion Moore assembled for GM in the 50s when they they were looking for names for cars and they they asked her to come up with a list of possible names for cars and they didn't use any of them. Bullet LaVolta was one of them. And then I took another one for this this band. That's awesome. What a great story. Yeah, that's probably not part of like Big Auto's uh, MO these days, asking <laughs> right. esteemed American yeah, exactly. poets for their ideas. Yeah, yeah. I don't think uh, Elon's on the horn with. Uh, yeah, that's not that's not too likely. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, I think you're 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 right that the, there's a sort of uh, I mean, I guess like I think didn't Chuck Klosterman wrote a book a couple of years ago about the 90s. Like it's definitely having its its nostalgic moment for sure, which is kind of it weird is. for and those the- of us who live through it. Yeah. No, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, fashion is concerned with the 90s. Music seems concerned with the 90s. And uh, even my, you know, I have students who are 22, 23 that are obsessed with the bands that I listened to when I was 22 or 23. And like, even if I if I ever met any of them, they just get so excited, which has, you know, led me to realize that, you know, you can just be cool by staying alive long enough. Yeah, that's, it seems to, I, it's useful. I, I had this, the same experience. I, I told my, I teach, uh, you teach at Columbia. I, I, I teach university as well here in Toronto. And um, for some reason, I think we're reading a story that somehow alluded to it. I, I told my students I was going to go see Pavement when they were doing their tour right. this past year. And I had at least four or five hangers on at the end of class to like, ask for my pavement recommendations or something like this is my like as a 40 as a 45 year old man this is my fantasy that young people start asking me about my favorite pavement songs so (laughs) it was a nice nice moment but uh i'm putting on my english professor hat now because i've got like i've even got uh post-its in the book here which is always a bad sign when i'm uh, i'm digging through um i was curious about the scene with your 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 father's in the book robert lipside is a well-known and and really prolific sports writer and writer of lots of different things but but sports novels is is a big one um and there's you know so the characters you know jack and uh his 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 family his aunt and the the writer named bink who's a hilarious character by the way i'm big (laughs) big big big, i'm sure bink is based on someone and i don't expect you to tell me but i i i i enjoy i enjoyed bink a lot um no, I feel sometimes I would just want to work on some of Bink's novels. That's uh <laughs> Yeah, Bink's 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 got a vision, that's for sure. Um yeah. and they they catch a rerun on TV of a late night talk show hosted by Robert Lipside, your father, uh, and he's interviewing no one, no one other than uh, Donald Trump. And Bink goes on a an excellent diatribe about uh, about that guest. Um, but this really happened. I, I found the clip on YouTube of your dad yeah. talking to 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 Trump. Um and I was just sort of curious about that connection. I mean, because you know, you're. It's, I get the. I got the feeling from the clip. Your 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 dad talked to Trump a bunch of times, and like was sort of you know always kind of needling him a little bit and kind of going back and forth with him. I was just curious about that experience he had, or like what your what you you heard about your your dad from Trump, or what he thought about the presidency, uh, or whatever 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 it is you can say about it would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you, I mean, you saw the clip and that was from a, a show called The Eleventh Hour. And my father was it was a sort of it was a local PBS precursor to the Charlie Rose show, if you ever saw that show. But uh, yeah, yeah, which was a national show. But this was this was a kind of a local version. And he had lots of mostly New York based guests on. And that one time, I think it was only once that Trump was on that show. But as a sports journalist, uh, for various reasons, my father had had interactions with Trump, I think several times over the years, Trump 
uh, if you remember, was part of the USFL, that other football. Yeah, the, he owned the Generals, right? He owned with, the uh, with Herschel Walker, of course, yeah. Yeah, Herschel Walker. Um, yeah, it all ties together, man. Uh, and, mm. uh, and so there were lots of, I think, interactions along the way, golf courses, whatever. And yeah. uh, that, that clip I took verbatim. So you saw the clip, but I didn't change any of the dialogue there. Um, no, no. In general, I mean, my father was horrified by the Trump presidency and horrified by always kind of horrified by Trump, but found him a kind of compelling figure early on as not someone to admire, but someone to sort of watch ascend and see what what madness society was coming to through this this human. One thing he did say, I remember about Trump years. This is many years ago. This was before Trump was president. He said to me. And this, I don't know if this is still true, but he said, like, when he was, when he would cover Trump or interview Trump, he said, he really made you feel good. Um, hmm. He made you, he he would lock in with you and make you feel like you were important too. And you were part of something too. And uh, that's an interesting thought to to carry forward to the, maybe some feeling he gave yeah. a lot of people later on. Yeah. I mean, I think for those of us for whom the appeal is like a total mystery you know right. uh it, it must be different maybe it, it it was or is different in person because it obviously is there for a lot of people um yeah you know so that that's that's really that's really interesting you also mentioned or we, we talked about it earlier your your new novella uh friend of the pod which i have not read because i i haven't been able to uh acquire a, a copy here but could you tell us a little bit about that i mean obviously we're we're intrigued by the title but uh what else can you say about it? Well, it's a it's a, it's a novella that I I wrote after I finished this novel that we were just discussing, and um, it's about a guy who's sort of been working in media in various kind of a journeyman content producer, media facilitator that has worked to different places and is a uh, but he really needs a job, and his, fr- his old friend hooks him up with this rich guy out in the, out in New Jersey who wants to have his own podcast and, but doesn't want to have to deal with any of the technical parts of it. Doesn't want to have to learn how to use any of equip, equipment. And he's a kind of old time guy who used to like own some alternative newspapers. And so imagines himself, you know, a man with opinions who needs to be heard, but doesn't want to really do any of the work to make that happen. So he he wants a flunky and he's willing to pay. And so this kid who's, who's really like who's guy in his early forties goes and the, goes to work for this, this guy and who has a podcast at, called Inter Alia, New Jersey. And then it turns out that the guy has a, a daughter who's around the age of the, our protagonist who has committed a, a crime and is on the run and entangles our protagonist in some in some real trouble another another pop boiler that's everything, great. everything spirals into into yes into into a dark noirish place yeah I'll, I'll have to next time i'm in the 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 u.s this summer i'll have to grab a get a get a copy shipped to me there it's not it's a challenge in toronto for some reason one one more pre-dinner party talking point you you did that thing in the new york times recently where they ask you what books you're reading and all of that and you recommended inner tube by yes. uh is it Hob um, Brown or Hob Brown? Brown. Okay, yeah. I I got a copy. The, oh great! Seemingly the only the only copy I could find on the internet. Uh, oh the, really? Only for yeah, you can get an ebook, but to get the actual, you know, 
it's a remainder from the Brooklyn Public Library, apparently. So I've uh, acquired it. This is a great book. I'm, I, Isn't you it? know, I've, I feel like I've read a lot of American books from that time period. And this is, this is, I mean, I'm only, you know, I'm 40, 50 pages into it, but I can see that it's, you kind of get the feel early on of how yeah, it's, yeah. it's going to be, you know, um, what do you, what is it you, you like about this book? Like why, why did you, what is it, what, what, what kind of makes it, you know, stay in your mind for the last 30 years, as you were saying? I just love, I love, I love the voice. I love the, the kind of smart deadpan, very funny, yeah. but very heartbroken voice that, that yeah. the story that it seems at sometimes it's about just this guy and his little life, but then it kind of in very subtle ways keeps blossoming into a story about America, about media, about so many things. I mean, I still remember the first sentence is burned into my brain. I still remember was it, you're not going to like this, but you know, you're not going to like this, but some years ago in the in the living room of my family's home in Lake Success, New York, my mother canceled an unrelenting life by plunging her head through the 26-inch screen of a Motorola color television. Sadly, she was alone at the time. Are you a big first sentence guy, Sam? Yeah, well, I really believe that that's, that's an important uh, aspect of any, any work of fiction. It's a teacher of mine used to call it the attack sentence. The idea is, yes, you you know, we're all distracted we're all being pulled in a million directions we're all looking for a reason not to read something and as a writer your job is to say no right here look yeah. here mm -hmm. and yeah, yeah. and those that first sentence or those first sentences that beginning that's how you do it it is a fantastic sentence it's a great and i mean i reading the book the narrator i, I don't know if we actually found out his name eventually but i i he has a he, he he reminded me of a of a lipsite protagonist a little bit. I can see there's a bit of a yeah. Well, I think he was an influence on me. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a great book. Um. So thanks for recommending it. It's very very sure. interesting. Um. Okay. So I'm guessing Donald Trump does not make your dream dinner party uh, roster, or maybe he does for different reasons, for <laughs> prank or revenge based reasons. But uh, well, I mean, I had a I did this. In that same New York Times interview, I did the the dinner party question. I've been asked it before. It, it always, it's always intimidating. Yeah, I was. Well, that's one of the things we're always kind of curious about is like when you've, because you know, it's like college applications, things like this. Have you you you've had some experience with it before? Just actually, only really with this book, I seem to have gotten a couple of times, a couple of occasions. There have been a couple of occasions when people have asked me this. For the times I said. Uh, well, famously, T.S. Eliot and Groucho Marx had dinner together, and it went very badly, oh, apparently. But um, yeah, so I wanted to give them another shot at that. That's, that seems reasonable. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then they they mellowed. They mellowed by now. And then have Kanye West come for dessert. That was my. That was my. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good. I'm sure they'll all find plenty to agree about. That'll be a, <laughs> a civil time. See, we offer a, a more capacious version of the dream dinner party question. Like if you're having a dinner party and this is your, so it's a dream dinner party. You can have it at home. You can have it at a restaurant. What's like a good, what's a good location for you? Like, where would you like to have whoever you have coming over? Where would you, where would you like this to occur? Well, the one thing is I really don't want to host, you know, that's, I, I'm, I don't like to host. I prefer to be the guest, but I guess yeah. I, I guess I would have it in my home and my, my humble abode here. Um, would you have it in 2023 or would you have it in 1993? 
That's a good question. And you can you can be grown up Sam in 1993, so you can like know what you know now. Back then, that would be interesting. I, um, Not in the World Series at this point. I mean, what are we getting? What are we, what are we getting into? Yeah. We're very go good back at this. To, you know, Imperial Rome and do it there. Yeah, it's your dream dinner party, Sam. You I suppose so. Yeah, you want? Yeah, and it could be actually a dinner party that I actually don't have, but just dream about. That's that's another possibility that's true it's a dream just a, <laughs> just a hunger dream yeah yeah i was thinking that one guest that i i would just because i've always loved his writing but also he lived through some interesting things is isaac bobble the oh, okay yeah the the, the is... short story writer and um who was you know eventually killed by stalin but uh wrote one of my favorite books of short stories, Red Cavalry, and mm-hmm. was just an amazing, beautiful prose writer who grew up in Odessa. He wrote, uh, and his, his stories were either about riding with the Red Army as they fought in the Civil War after the revolution, um, or about these amazing kind of gangsters in his neighborhood growing up in Odessa. But he also worked in the in the nascent Soviet film industry. He was, wrote screenplays, and uh, he was oh really. And he was kind of you know I mean I'm sure you've read him, but he was considered, and I consider him one of the you know great writers of the 20th century. And but he was at some level a threat. Although I've read that maybe you know one of the reasons he was arrested had to do with an affair he was having. He you know crossed the wrong official. For, yeah. for romantic reasons um at any at any rate you know he was imprisoned and no one knew for many years what happened to him but it turned out he was executed fairly soon after he lived through so much saw so much in a short amount of time and was just a, a brilliant writer and chronicler and I, you know of course the other thing with these these dinners uh the language barrier has to be crossed this is a, this is a question yeah we i think we've typically assumed like a, an across the board, like Star Trek style right. universal translator system is in place. Okay. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. You don't uh, have to use one of your guest spots for, for a Russian translator. Right. So this is, yeah. so, this, is yeah. this is dinner on the holodeck is really what you're saying. That's so. right. Yeah. You can, uh, you can have the, all the Klingon garb required if right. that's the right setting. Well, maybe we would do um, a Klingon feast then some sort of ritual Klingon feast. If that's uh Yeah. Yeah. Romulan ale, all the, all that good <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, part of the, part of the Star Trek dining world. How, how old was Isaac Babel when he was, was killed? I am you, I'm not sure. I'd have to look that up, but I think it's you know, relatively, relatively, relatively young, young, young like, like early forties, late thirties, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what I thought. Um, I was really a couple of years ago. I was really into um, this writer. Do you know the writer Daniil Carms, who was another Russian yes, writer from sure, around yeah. the same time? Who's yeah, who's who you know also he died in hospital, starved to death, I think. But same situation. Yeah, early forties, far less prolific. Um, but writes. Uh, I mean, his story, "The Old Woman," is I think one of the funniest stories. Oh yeah, that is anyone's yeah. ever, anyone's ever written, even if it's not finished. Um, but those are always such interesting writers because you know uh, even after they. They they died for a long time. I mean, their stuff had to circulate surreptitiously, or 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 it was tough to read it, you know, outside of uh, outside of the Soviet Union. And what would you really want to ask Isaac Babel about in that situation? Like, what are you most curious about? I think I'd want to ask him about writing those Red Cavalry stories and translating sort of uh, experiences he had. And I guess some of it comes you can get from his notebooks, which I've looked at, but. 
you know, going doing a, what was ostensibly a sort of journalistic mission to to ride along, to go along with these these soldiers, but to to find, you know, what it was like for him to sort of turn away from just uh, journalistic depiction into into this art making. And I, I'm kind of always interested in the ways that people transform fact and event into poetry. Yeah, it's 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 always interesting to see like where that, you know, and, and obviously in there's been there's been more of that with like new journalism in the later in the 20th century. But like how you draw that line between, you know, yeah. reportage and, and fictionalization can be because people have different answers. Right. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that's yeah. and then there's someone like, you know, there are people who have written great stories about war who weren't there. And yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, Stephen Crane, obviously, but also, you know, if you read some I mean, I'm a big fan of the writer Barry Hanna. I don't know if you ever read him, but yeah. Uh, you know, some in airship, some of those Civil War stories are incredible. They feel almost like Isaac Bobble stories. I don't know if he read him, but yeah. there's a there's a there's a uh, relationship in the tone, in the in the movement, in the in the stance, in the relationship of the character to the war. I mean, I, I, I see similarities. But yeah, I mean, I think I would ask him about that. But I would also just ask him about more than that. I would ask him about being a writer in the Soviet Union in a situation where you you kind of you believe in the revolution you're not a counter revolutionary yeah. you're not one of the you know you're not part of the you know white army or something you're uh you believe in the in the in the general idea and yet you are squashed and censored and and hounded and 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 what that feels like to feel that the you know the people that ostensibly you would agree with find you a problem that needs to be stamped out. And that, that seems to be, maybe that has some resonance today. I don't know. Well, it's like the most, the, the highest stakes version of being misread, right? It's yeah, like, exactly. If, if, if you're misread in this case, you know, it's, 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 a it's big real problem. cancel culture. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, Stalin, St Stalin's cancel culture was a little more severe than what we exactly. have today. That's, yeah. that's true. Do you serve Russian, like Russian food or um, what do you, what are you serving or ordering from, um, Uber Eats. Well, I'd find out if he has any dietary restrictions. <laughs> if you got, you've got it. It's just courtesy. If, yeah, yeah, yeah. If he's intermittent fasting, yeah, yeah. I'd yeah. Say, I know. I'd say to him, "Let me explain fusion to you," and, yeah. uh, <laughs> and give him something that he's never seen before. Yeah. No. Nobody knew about umami back in the 1930s. Right. You've never. Never experienced umami. That's a it's a good thing. Um, what what music are you playing, if any? Dung beetle. No, I'm just joking. Of course, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, those, those those lost dung beetle tracks that the internet is thirsting for. Yeah, exactly. You got them. In, you got them in reserve. I'll just yeah. play that one, Pardon my naivete. Yeah. I'll play that one song over and over again. No, I'd be. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be interested in in knowing what he would want. I mean, I, I guess again what. Do you want to know what happened in music after you died? That's an interesting question, you know? Yeah. yeah. Do you want to hear what happened, what you already know, or do you want to hear what happened after you, after you left this world? And he, he was, he knew he was, um he was of some renown when he was living, right? Like oh, he yeah. had achieved he, some success. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was one of the most, yeah. I, mean, I think, popular writers in the Soviet Union for a while. 
And then he was sort of yeah. denounced. He was denounced and his star fell a bit and he was maybe kicked out of the, I don't know this history that well. Other people yeah. know much, much more um, kicked out of the union, you know, the, the writer's union and so forth. And he was seen as like, you know, because of his aesthetic concerns as decadent, he wasn't really sticking to the socialist realist uh, dogma and so forth. So, yeah. you know, but he, but everyone sort of knew that he was the best. Or one of the best. Yeah, it's interesting too. There was a, a thing just in the New Yorker, I, I think, the last issue about people react because of the, the the war in Ukraine, like people being more skeptical about Russian writers and kind of like I think it was Aleph Bachman wrote it, kind of like you know thinking through like how is that about that reaction, right? Like you know because of what Russia is doing in twenty twenty two or twenty twenty three, you stop you stop reading a writer who died a hundred years ago. It's kind of a weird impulse. So it's. It's maybe I don't know. I don't know what he'd think about that. Probably complicated things, but uh, being from Odessa, but nevertheless. Yeah, I mean, I think that he would under he would see all the complexity and he would see that the fact that culture can produce the best and the worst. Interesting. OK, so that's a That's a That's a good start to the dinner party. This is this is, you know, it's uh, it, it, now that you just got to get Groucho Marx and Kanye West in there and the whole thing works out yes. well, just Kanye like West, the other Kanye West comes no matter what, you know, he's the fourth, yeah. he's the fourth guest. He's the, yeah, it's the, he's the uninvited presence in all our lives. He's the dessert he, that was by, you know? Yeah. He's the, the one set of footsteps that carry us <laughs> on the beach. It's just as, just his way. Um, okay. So you're having a good time with, with Isaac Bobble. You've been talking, listening to, the one one dung beetle song on repeat on Spotify. You having having Thai food or whatever. Dude, you're gonna um, love this song. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> it's uh. I mean, he doesn't even know what rock. As far as he knows, you invented rock and roll. He has no idea. That's I know. You, I'm, that I'm be, the most avant garde composer of all time. To him, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, just a huge leap. Um, the door the doorbell rings or there's a knock on the door. Who's who's coming next? Who's guest number two? Well, this is gonna really light up the room because it's it's a modern movie star and her name is kate winslet oh okay oh okay and we're gonna interesting but they're gonna be able to talk about you know movies and yeah and they and theater so they're gonna have a lot to talk about i was gonna say you when you said that uh, isaac bobble worked in in film a little yeah. bit as well so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, they can talk about what makes a good screenplay, you know, and she can she can describe the history of cinema since he he uh, left us. And so there, there's a lot to talk about there and also at theater. And he obviously knew about theater. That was a much, I think, a, a more profound uh, or more popular medium at the, at the time. Um, I think that I think I wanted to bring I, I think she's a fantastic actor brilliant for sure and um i when every time i've heard her talk about acting or art i've i've always found it very uh inspiring i think she's just really yeah smart and soulful and deep on that stuff and so i wanted to bring that energy into the dinner party i'm a big fan and i would ask her about you know various movies she's done and i don't know what she likes to eat but i could probably even go to you know people magazine and find that out there's got to be an answer somewhere. Yeah, that's well. She's been acting for 
such a long time. Like she started, I, I the first, I'm, I mean, I don't think she's, I think she's probably about the same age as me, but I feel like I remember her when I was really young, she was in like Sense and Sensibility maybe with Emma Thompson was around or even the, the Australian film. I'm forgetting right. the name yeah. now. Yeah, it's uh, the rabbit, rabbit hole or rabbit gate or something about a gate or a fence. No, there's one where the two girls rabbit killed her. Fence? Yeah, there's there's another uh, heavenly one. creatures, heavenly creatures. heavenly creatures yeah, is what I'm thinking. Of. Yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah. Um, Would you ask her if there was room for Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> on the piece of I, the Titanic, or do you think do you think she's heard I, that before? Uh, yeah, maybe. I, just a, I, just a couple. I would not talk about the Titan about Titanic at all. Oh, why leave. not? Why not? That to me is the least interesting of. of yeah, I mean, she's great in it, but you know, I guess mm. we've talked about it so much. Although. Yeah, yeah. My only my only relationship to the Titanic is that my grandfather once told me that when he was a little boy, he and his brothers built this crystal radio set and they listened to the Titanic sync. They they were picking up the SOS signals. Oh, wow. On their no radio. Way. Yeah. That's I guess. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I suppose it would have been. In in like were they in New York? Was that where yeah. they were to be? There's yeah, yeah. Group. So close enough, right? Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Not to belabor the Titanic point, but that is at least something Isaac Bobble would know about. It's like, oh, you yeah. made a movie about right, exactly. Yeah, so they, they, yeah. they could oh, have a that, great conversation about that. Yeah, yeah. It's like nine nine eleven for him or something. It's like not that far ago, but still, you know, big in the big in the memory or whatever. That's interesting. Yeah, uh, which uh, I guess like what performance of of Kate Winslet's are you? I don't know, most drawn to. I haven't seen Mayor of Easttown. I hear a lot of people like that. Is is it yeah, that well, or is I mean, it something? If I think of the span of her career. I mean, I, she was a, did you ever see a movie called Holy Smoke? Like Jane Campion? Movie? Yeah, yeah, that was great. Yeah. So she's yeah. great in that and she's really young. And then that mayor, she was, she was fantastic in that. I mean, just watching her sort of evolve and not even get better, but sort of play to who she is as at each stage in her life has been, I think, you know, great to watch. Yeah, I mean, she seems like she's someone who's, as I was saying, she started so young and it's now been, I don't know, like 30 plus years that she's been pretty famous. And but she's always sort of like been steady, you know, like always yeah. making good stuff. Yeah. Doesn't seem to have had like the fame hasn't gone to her head or anything. Maybe it's just being it's like, you know, I don't know if she lives in Hollywood or in London, probably in London, I would guess you kind of maybe keep a bit of distance or something, but. Yeah. I mean, what I always admired is I think that after Titanic, she was offered a, a lot of big budget big tent movies and she uh she decided to make smaller ones yeah i believe she's she's never been in a uh, marvel cinematic universe movie which no. right. makes her the only actor who's never been in a marvel movie perhaps that's interesting no, I okay think leo dicaprio has been in a marvel movie has he that's true that's true he probably hasn't yeah he's he makes he's some a, okay choices too that's all right he's, to not he's to hold out yeah there's a, there's a few there's a, it's always surprising to me when i I see who is. I mean, I'm not a I'm not a Marvel. I'm I'm in the Scorsese camp on this one. I'm not a Marvel guy, but uh, so I, I can't say who's in them, but I, I haven't noticed either of them. Yeah. yeah you know, what movie of hers was great is um, Little Children. And it was it was oh, yeah, a great she's, book. She's great and it was a great movie. She yeah, is she's spectacular. Great in that in that. She's great in everything. But, yeah, she was particularly good in that. I remember. Have you have you ever had any. um. I don't know, like experience with acting yourself or with with screenwriting or anything that would sort of make this a, an inroad for you or something you're interested in personally or. Yeah, I mean, I want to pick I, I first of all, I did want to at a certain point, I was kind of interested in acting when I was a kid. And I acted in plays in high school and college and took courses, classes. You know, I realized at a certain point that I just. Uh, well, I didn't have it. 
so I, you know, I, I stopped, but I always really, I, I, I learned enough to really respect what it is that the people who are good at it, what they're doing and yeah. how, how it look, even if it looks easy, it's not. And, um, and, you know, with the good people, you're not noticing the acting, but it's, you know, what they're doing is, is remarkable. And so, yeah. Yeah. you know, I think that's always interesting when whatever it is, you learn enough to understand what the people who are good at it are doing. You know, even if it's like I played, I, you know, I screamed in this rock band and I, uh, yeah, I never really learned guitar well enough to play on stage, but I, you know, learned it well enough to bash out some chords and write a couple songs, but all, and, you know, to this day, I still bash out the same chords. I never progressed, but I learned enough guitar to understand how, how little I know and how much yeah. people who do play know. And so I think that's always good to sort of learn enough about something to understand your, your you know, your vast inadequacy. Yeah. It's always interesting when, when someone who really knows their craft explains it, even if you don't know how to do it, it's still interesting to to hear. Like, I feel like there's often like profiles of painters in the New Yorker and I don't paint I don't know anything about it, but although I do teach it in art school, so I probably should, but just the way that they talk about it is interesting because it's like, I don't do this, but just hearing you talk about it makes you think more critical, like more thoughtfully about the stuff that you, you do like whatever writing or, or teaching or, or whatever else. So yeah, it's kind of interesting. It also helps you think about your, what you do do well. It helps you. Yeah. yeah. That's what you're saying. Yeah. It helps you think about your own craft and yeah, absolutely. No, I was going to answer the other part of your question. I have done some screenwriting and dramatic writing in the past. And so I'm always interested in, in learning more about that and getting better at that. As we've we've talked about a few times on the, the podcast here um, with our other friends of the pod, uh, the, the third guest can be. I would, have you ever seen there's a episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm where, where Larry, Larry David talks about being like he calls it. He says he's he's like a good middle at a dinner party. So he's like the point guard of the conversation, you know, like moving from topic to topic, not letting something too boring stick around for a while. Um, I think Kate Winslet could do that. Possibly she could. That, she could yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I feel as though that's partially my job, though, as the host to sort of. Yeah. Keep things moving. It's it's possible. Yeah. I mean, the it's when you do it in real life, that is the the pressure we all feel in a, in a hosting scenario. Um so the, the third guest is kind of key, though, I guess you're either going to take it in a totally different direction or I don't know, you've got a, you've got some like overlap with your first two guests or you could really kind of concentrate on that. I'm curious, the third guest know. is really going to inform the first two. So so the doorbell rings. Who's who's the third guest? The third guest Sam. is really going to either take this into the stratosphere <laughs> or completely undo everything we've built here. All right. Because he comes from a, a completely different time and place with perhaps a completely different way of seeing the world. I'd say this is trepidation, but I, I just want to have dinner at least once in my dream life with Benjamin Franklin. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, <laughs> oh my gosh. We have a lot of, there's, there's a lot going on here. Yeah. Uh, I think Sam just broke our algorithm ross that's right yeah there's there's uh there's there's everything we know is wrong the franklin the franklin perplex has been activated or whatever yeah um no go on sam tell us tell us tell us why tell us why you know it's just that if you read about his life on paper he's like he is you know like he's like that dos equis guy he's the world's most interesting man right he 
Yeah. He, he yeah, really, yeah. he did everything. He saw everything. He went everywhere in his life. Um, and he probably knew more about the world, you know, of his time than anyone um, with this very interesting perspective. And he did all of the, you know, he invented things. He traveled. He was a diplomat. He was, uh, and so forth. And he was a libertine, you know, he, he, and yet we don't really know him at all. And he's sort of, he's the guy with that stupid hat and he's, you know, this kind of, he's in the mists of, of legend and myth. And, and, and I feel like there's this like founder fuzz around him that you can't really get through. And I don't really understand him at all. And, um, but I, there was this interesting book I read years ago, many, many years ago, that made me more interested in Franklin than I had ever been, even after I'd read all these interesting things that he'd done, which was a book called The Infortunate. Do you know this book? It's by a guy named William Morley, and he was an indentured servant in Philadelphia. He was a guy who grew, oh. up, in, he grew up in London. And he kind of blew it. I think he was in law school and he like gambled his money away and pissed off his parents and had nowhere to go. And so signed on to be an indentured servant in the in the colonies and, yeah. went, over, and went over and lived in Philadelphia and was sort of the anti Franklin. But he kind of knew him and he huh. sort of saw him as this like, you know. Overly ambitious douchebag. <laughs> but um, and and Morley's whole wrote went back to London after five years and wrote this book about how, you know, how horrible my life was as an indentured servant. You know, you wouldn't believe how crazy and awful the colon, you know, this place is. The, yeah, yeah. Um, but he did write about stuff that wasn't getting written about. He wrote about slavery. He wrote about you know, other indentured servants. He wrote about class stuff. He wrote about the, the relationship with, with native Americans and the land and, and um, yeah. he got into some stuff, but anyway, it didn't make me want to have dinner with him, but it's an interesting book. No. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, and the moral of the book is really like, don't fuck up like I did, you know, or you'll end up, like yeah. in, you'll end up in Philadelphia, but uh, it's, a, it's a good genre. Yeah. Yeah. But it, he had, I mean, I think he had some admiration, but also some, uh, you know, envy and resentment of this young guy, Benjamin Franklin, who was really kind of making a name for himself in, in the city, doing all these different things. But it, like, it kind of, I sort of saw him through the eyes of this guy that I identified with more of this kind of bitter slacker. Yeah. That's, so, that's interesting. Well, William Morley. Okay. I, you know, I have not, I got to check that out. That sounds, that sounds, that sounds. Uh, but anyway. It just got me thinking about Franklin again. And like what that was some life, you know, and, yeah. and and it's we don't really appreciate it because it's bound up in all this other shit. We, you know, for good reason, critique, don't like, you know. Yeah, we're we're leery of uh, uh, celebration of the founding fathers. We, you know, we don't want to go down that that's that kind of that road anymore. And for good reason, we want to kind of pick that stuff apart. Um, yeah. But this guy, as I said before, did everything. And so I can't imagine he wouldn't be a great dinner guest. And I can't imagine anyone from that time who would be more interested in what came later, 
who'd be more interested yeah. in, in all, really of the, yeah. all of the things that, you know, you know, came out of technology that came out of mass media, all of the ways that things that he was involved with developed um, yeah. over the centuries. And he would, I think he would be, you know, a, a very uh, interested listener as well as talker at this dinner party. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's true. If you showed like, if, if Ben Franklin's in 2023, you showed him like a computer, he'd want to know how it works. Whereas yeah. George Washington would like shoot it or something. I don't know, like just right, exactly. be, be terrified or yeah. So, so that's, he has probably the two most crucial, two of the most crucial things you want in a dinner party guest. You know, he's got good stories. Yeah. And we, and you know, if you've read his autobiography, I mean, you referred to him being a libertine. He knows yeah. how to have a good time. He's not shy about the fact that when it's it's part it's party time he's he's ready for it so right. yeah that could be it might take the dinner party almost too far down the i think the it, he might try to take it to a level that i'm not ready to go to yeah that's a <laughs> degree of 18th century familiarity we don't all we don't all you i'd know, be like hey i'm gonna it. call you a car now and, <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's, yeah it's 9 45 and it's time to go yeah, yeah. that's uh Possible, but it's a it's a fun few hours until that moment happens. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> that's 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 crucial. When he starts um, reading us the Hellfire Club rules, and um, yeah, <laughs> it takes a it takes a turn for the for the <laughs> yeah. gothic very quickly. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Um, yeah, that's it's interesting. I mean, it sounds like uh, you know. Well, you that, know what? The, I mean, the, I could tomorrow if you ask me, it might be three different people. That's the thing about these. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Dinner yeah. party. So you know, I don't. Yeah. I haven't been like. Well, they asked me to be on the podcast, and finally, I can tell everyone how I want to have dinner with Isaac Bobble, Ben Franklin, and Kate Winslet. Like, finally, my yeah. secret I've been carrying around with me for for years now. I can yeah. finally unburden myself. <laughs> you can find you can finally write that time travel novel where you stop <laughs> off and uh, yeah. Stalingrad and uh, in Philadelphia, seventeen seventy or whatever. That's that's in the that's in the works. I mean, th- three is both too many and not enough for a dinner party, right? Like you 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 usually as someone I think our uh, one of our guests pointed out that three people three people plus you isn't really a dinner party. That's just like dinner, you know. It's usually six eight people, but but at the same time, three people you don't know at dinner is as, as you say when you're the host, you kind of feel pressure to like make it all go smoothly. I don't know. Like it depends. I guess it depends how extroverted you are, but that's a lot of work, right? To like make sure everyone's, you know, kind of happy or whatever. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, Franklin. it occurred to me that Ben Franklin and, uh, and Isaac Bobble can compare revolutions. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, 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 there's enough, there's enough common ground there, there's, you know, there's a, there's a um, lot of crossover in a lot of, in a lot of ways. So I think this is shaping up to be actually quite a successful Little I side. agree. I agree. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure what you can feed Benjamin Ben Franklin. Did he have his real teeth? That's sort of the question we right. need to <laughs> we need to know. Like how 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 soft does this dinner need to be for a I'm guy sure with wooden he, I'm teeth? I'm sure he figured out ways to get get it down. You know, he was a there's got to be a way. Yeah, just eat a sort of a quail and some some right. some wine or something. And you're fine. Yeah, I addressed this in the official Dream Dinner Party Handbook. George Washington, he didn't have all his own teeth, but nor did he have wooden teeth. He just, his teeth were just made of whatever he could find. Like there was animal teeth, pig teeth, some were wood, a couple of them were real. It was just like all the above. Yeah. That's so much worse than what I was imagining. (laughs) Yeah. That's, uh, (laughs) yeah. I should, oh, sorry. I I should have said Gary has written 
uh, has written the official Dream Dinner Party handbook. It's a it's a real it's a real handbook out there. That's uh, oh, I didn't know so, that. He, so he's he is the he is the expert on this subject. Yeah, you know, I should have consulted that if I'd known before this. Uh, <laughs> uh, compre- comprehensive stuff. Yeah, I, have to, um, I apologize. It's no, okay. no, we it's okay. You, yeah, well, we'll all, soon every home will will have a copy to consult whenever <laughs> these things come up. But uh, but he's right. Yeah, I mean, you gotta. There's a lot of there's a lot of contingencies here. And yeah, I think you've done a good job though. I mean, I know you were, yeah. you didn't know what to pick. I think you've, you've hit a, that's it. I'd go to that party. I'd be happy at that. Would you party. go? That seems you, like you wouldn't I'd go. It. I'd be there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a good time. That's, that's, that's the totally good. Um, well, that's perfect. Well, th- I mean, I, I like what you've come up with. Uh, I, and thank you so much for, for joining us and for, for talking about your, your new book and your, your new novella and, and yeah, just writing in general. It was really great to, to, to get to meet you and 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 hear your thoughts and hear about your dream dinner party. Likewise, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, this has been the official Dream Dinner Party podcast. Uh, our guest today was Sam Lipsight. Uh, I'm your host Ross Bullen, and I'm Gary Almeter. Thank you. And, um, and we'll join us oh, we, next week. <laughs> this is two episodes in a row where we don't <laughs> manage to mess it up until the last five seconds. <laughs> and. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you next time. We'll edit that one out. Yeah. The official Dream Dinner Party podcast is hosted by Gary Almeter and Ross Bullen. Terry Bullen produces the podcast. Our theme music is Cruzero by Eaters. If you want to support the show, like, subscribe, leave a review, or share this episode with your friends. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. I have to tell you, um, my, my, my partner, Kate told me earlier this week, she, she wants me to tell you that before we got together, she, uh, uh, she saw me reading one of your novels and that's how she knew that we would hit it off. So you've got, you've got a rule, you've got a rule. So, so thank you. Uh, I need all the help I can get. So reading a book that impresses uh, anybody is good, especially uh, someone as, as, as great as my partner. So, so yeah, you've got a role in our household mythology, you know? Oh, I love that. That's the best story I've heard in a while. Thank you.